0: Hello and welcome to the podcast channel, What If Education? I'm your host, Monica Theron, and in this three-part series, we'll be discussing what education could be like in 2030. The goal of this podcast is to paint an ideal picture as to how the guest speakers see the future of education 10 years from now. The idea is to interview one teacher and one student in each episode, following the same basic storyline to see if there's a pattern or difference of opinion in the conversations we'll be having. This is episode one. My guest speakers today are Dr. Maria Gabriella Palacio, Assistant Professor of Development Studies, Social Policy, and International Studies at Leiden University, and Nicole Kadlik, currently a student of International Studies as well as an assistant student working at the Center for Innovation also here at Leiden University. Welcome, and uh, thank you both for being virtually here today. Before we begin, I would like it if the both of you could just briefly introduce yourselves to the listeners out
1: there. The floor is yours. Uh, My name is Maria Gabriela Palacio. I'm a university lecturer. I work at Leiden University, and I teach courses on the economy of Latin America, and a big course called Practice in International Studies. I was born in Ecuador, I'm an economist by training, but I've always been really curious about what other disciplines have to say. And uh, I define myself rather as an interdisciplinary scholar. I'm really interested in that conversation and that questioning that comes from other disciplines. Um, Besides from that, yeah, I am also a teacher who survived the first semester of online education, so I will call myself a survivor in this context.
2: So hi, I am Nicole and I think I can uh, also categorize myself as a survivor of student of Corona, semester number one. Um, But I study Bachelor of International Studies, which is also an interdisciplinary program that I enjoy very much. Um, I'm specializing in South Asia, which I'm mostly interested in transformation of culture and religion. And I'm also taking a training to become a mindfulness teacher, which I think correlates with the um, area of interest. And I'm very much interested in how the Western perception changes, adapts and um, makes um, South Asian cultures and religions hybrid. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about education because I think that's the number one place where um, interdisciplinary Programs and um, also mindfulness can be introduced in the future, hopefully. The more people I uh, talk to, the more I see that uh, really meditation and mindfulness seems to be the skill of the 21st century. So that's why I think it is really relevant for
0: the future. Thank you both for that uh, lovely introduction. And without further ado, let's move on to the part that I'm hoping that both of you are dying to talk about. It's the year. 2030, everything is very different, or perhaps it's the same from the way we commute, communicate, socialize, and of course, study. And you're just about to start a new semester. Perhaps think about your most memorable learning or teaching experience and include that in the storyline. Also, keep in mind, Nicole, you're now a teacher because it's 2030. And uh, try and imagine the future by incorporating whatever experience you've had, whether it is re- teaching or whether it's a personal experience um, into the subjects that you're going to be, you know, mentioning in your storyline. Um, and the first question is, paint a picture for us. What does education look like in 2030? What do you see?
1: Okay, um, so is 2030, i entering still a lecture room. I think that that bit of our education system is not going to change. Now that the lecture room will be full with 100, 400 students, I'm not sure anymore. We might have to think of a different audience, even the limitations we have encountered this semester. But there I am, I've entered our lecture room, and what I hope to see, what I see, let me see, let me do the exercise completely, what I see is a truly diverse audience. What I see is, People from different backgrounds being able to actually be on campus, um, no matter the number, I see them there. So that's that's for me something something that is essential in that uh, understanding of the future. It's an open university. It's an open university in which uh, the classroom has changed, and I have changed too. I might not be so, uh, you know attached to economics anymore i might be even more diffuse more interdisciplinary the economist will be almost gone you you cannot see her anymore i also see her dissolving in this process
0: and can you describe what the classroom could look like um how do people sit a little bit of a description because obviously you can't see it now so the more detail the more the the, the listener can imagine it
1: Right, so I enter the classroom, and as I said, I don't see a lot of people. I see up to 20 people, to be honest with you, but there's this big auditorium. And I don't want to get rid of the audience because education happens through dialogue. So I don't see myself, like, behind a podium, really formal, talking to them through a microphone. I'm actually seated there next to them. We're talking. We are having a conversation that are coming to me with questions so they they don't have this idea of the consumers of education this is not a system this is truly co-creation so they've came they've come into the classroom and they already have their contribution willing to learn i'm there to learn from them they are taking equal time as i'm taking to talk to i see a completely different organization of uh, who's the teacher who are the students and and those identities, those roles, are also dissolving there.
0: Yeah. And Nicole, do you uh, do you want to give your input? How do you see yourself uh, ten years from now as a teacher? How are you going to change what, you, <laughs> how you've been taught, or how you're being t- uh, taught at the moment?
2: Yes, so I'm a teacher in 2030 and many things I actually do agree with you, Maria Gabriella, that um, if I would walk in a classroom in 2030, I would definitely see students from way more diverse backgrounds. being allowed to be on campus, uh, financially supported, supported through technology. But somehow I also see, even though I agree, that uh, I would love to have the in-person dialogue because I think it is, human contact I think we miss it now the most and I think it's gonna have a lot of value in the future still and I hope it will never lose the value but I also see that maybe my lecture would be um, streamed to students who cannot come to class and therefore there, it would be open to even more students so there, there would be some sort of screen and there would be like 50 students visible as well and they would be also um, part of the conversation but of course 100% There will be students in person as well to keep the conversation Mm. as human as possible. But I also agree with the point of co-creation. I also thought about that how it is already changing. It will even continue in the future. That the hierarchical status of the teacher, I wouldn't like myself to be hierarchically higher as the student. I think it's a place um, of co-creation, as you said, um, to be connected to each other and to create learning plans together and what I also think will completely change is that um, we will have way more personalized um, programs and uh, learning plans or studies that can be on demand like there's still going to be psychology and medicine and architecture but I think these interdisciplinary courses that were mainly um, come out of will be personalizable and each student will be able to focus on what they are interested in even more than now. And therefore, I think that's going to be a very um, effective opportunity, hopefully, to create experts in so diverse fields, because now we sort of come out of a study and we're all very similar. And I think we will each come out of a study and it's going to be even more diverse than now.
0: Okay. Um. I would like you to think about who are you teaching with? Are you teaching on your own? Are you collaborating with perhaps another student or another teacher? How do you socialize with other teachers or students? Um, I know it's a lot of questions, so just pick one or two to answer. Uh, (laughs) How long is each class? Do you grade your students? Do you give them a diploma? Is that still in the tenure plan in your head?
1: You know, I'm, I'm teaching this. I would love to teach this with other uh, teachers, but I think that something I do see in the future and that I would really like to have next to the screens that Nicole has mentioned with uh, the many other students that are joining, my students are not only learning from the books or, or the journal articles. I can also invite people. So instead of talking about indigenous communities in the Amazon from what they read in an article, I have them on the screen. So I'm not speaking on their behalf. I'm not misreading their trajectories. They are telling their own narratives themselves. That I see in the future. You know, I see content that is much more connected to the needs of our students, to the societal debates. So it speaks back to the things that I'm really interested in. When, they, when we talk about activism, I can have activists also join in the session. And again, they can have that dialogue with them that I would be happy to moderate. And I see, yeah, shorter lessons, two hours, is uh, torture for everyone involved. <laughs> yes. I, I see, you know, 45 minutes lectures. I, I, I think that's the optimal time. And if you ask me, I don't want to have exams, not because it's only, no, yeah, it's a drug to grade, and yes but they tell me very little about the students' performance. They tell me very little about how they engage with content. Usually exams just, just tell me how good they are at handling stress and time management. So I see a lot of peer learning and peer assessment. They also learn how to engage with each other's work and assess their work to both recognize the effort And point the weaknesses in the work in a compassionate way, because that's something that's missing in our system as of today. We don't know how to recognize each other's work and give feedback in a way that is constructive, that is compassionate, that is actually enabling that co-creation. Because it sounds great, but you need to have the pedagogical tools for that to work.
2: One thing I agree with, I would also keep my lectures as a teacher shorter <laughs> um, and also change the structure of exams. I think exams can teach um, students a lot, but um, very little on how we engage with the content. Of course, it teaches uh, me personally and other colleagues, I've encountered um, discipline and um, learning skills that's undeniable. But uh, I agree that more peer assessment uh, and learning constructive feedback is uh, going to be a skill that we will acquire on a daily basis in 2030 hopefully and actually like the question how will we socialize stuck with me first so I thought um, that me as a teacher I would completely want to maybe abandon this hierarchy that student or study associations are solely for the students. I think there's going to be way more interactions, uh, way more inclusion from both sides. Because uh, I think a lot of students sometimes think that it's not... like It's not respectful to ask a teacher to join an evening out, for example, and have fruitful discussions there as well, because we as students also have critical discussions outside of the classroom. Um, but I think it's going to be also that uh, teachers will want to join these discussions. They will see that they are fruitful, and they are also benefiting to the learning processes of the students. So I think we will socialize completely differently without the boundary of the hat of the teacher and the students. It's just going to be a group of people learning together to get somewhere in a sense.
0: Yeah, that's going to be super interesting to see how that'll work out. Uh, But for now, let's uh, move on to the next question. The third question I have, uh, is there any future technology you would add to this storyline?
1: I... I'm really skeptical about technology. Basically, um, I'm a political economist, so I see the great levels of inequality. So if technology will be purely technical, yes, let's go for it. But it's also social and political. And the moment in which you filter access to technology through social structures and through structures of power, then I'm less optimistic. But granted that we have managed to navigate that scenario and my students have access to software that is available to all of them and to the different points in which we want to connect. I would like the students also to go beyond the exercise of writing an essay. I would love them to shoot a short documentary. Show me what urban inequality looks like. Tell me your experience with privilege. What do you see when you walk into the streets and you have certain uh, identity markers? How people look at you, and if someone else will shoot that same documentary, will be looked at in a different way. I think there is infinite. There are infinite possibilities to use uh, technology in, in a way that it can help us permeate the social life. Because unless academia engages with society, it will look a bit obsolete. So if technology is helping us in that social gap, I'm all for it. I can give you an example, like what if we give them drones? And I know that one of my PhD supervisors, he had this amazing uh-huh. project. He has it. It's up and running in the Amazon, actually. So going back to the example of the Amazon. So indigenous peoples in the Amazon, they have drones that they can operate and they can fly over the beautiful rainforest and spot whether there has been, you know, uh, an issue with oil extraction or people are penetrating territory that is, you know, a natural reserve. So they can immediately uh, make a picture and send it to hackers and hackers can distribute the information and bypass governments. Technology is exciting. It's exciting. And I would love to have, you know, live uh, pictures being sent to me from these drones as I'm explaining how destructive industries have expanded in Latin America.
0: Nicole, how do you feel about technology?
2: Yeah, well, I initially wanted to say like, yes, pro-technology, absolutely. But I have to be honest, I did not uh, take into consideration the inequality that you mentioned that it might create. If we, of course, can take that somehow completely out of the picture, um, by, let's say, giving every student the same technology once they're enrolled in university, no matter their their income, so it wouldn't be um, self-paid then I'm absolutely for it. I mean, of course, we're talking about 2030, that's 10 years from now. We don't know if there's going to be some sort of microchip in our eyes that can show us all the readings. Um, But I think it starts small. I don't think it would be a huge burden, of course, a financial one, but to provide every student with an iPad, for example. Not every student has a computer. Most uh, students have to go to the library to access the Internet um and that would alleviate a lot of um just inconveniences and if that is possible for every student and it wouldn't create the inequality we talked about then i think that can be very helpful but uh i also think that um maybe i'm not able to picture it cuz i'm no engineer but i think there's going to be some sort of cool gadget that we will all be able to use that's going to be like how did we have education without it how did how did a teacher tell us this without this like 2010
0: that was weird back then (laughs) (laughs) well look at mobile phones i mean i was still uh, born before the mobile phones were around and i don't think that anybody could survive without them nowadays so yeah who knows um okay so to make things a little bit more interesting i'm going to add a few elements into your story based on real technology developments um currently being prototyped and um As the story will continue, it is uh, like this. Due to security changes and constant health outbreaks, but also a convenience factor, microchip technology by Biohacks International is being used on all students and staff. And as an additional feature, these microchips allow each person to give each other score ratings. For example, a teacher rates a student on respect, or a student rates a teacher on being fair towards him or her. And then these social ratings count towards, let's say, 5% to a final grade um, and 5% toward the teacher's year-end bonus. And then um, now uh, that you know what this technology is in 2030, how does this technology affect your workflow in the future?
1: I will be absolutely terrified of being a teacher then. See, this is when I'm not only a political economist, I'm going to cipher called and say, that's biopower. What's happening? (laughs) Um, Yeah, the problem with technology, when we follow it blindly, is that it it works like bureaucracy, following blindly the rules, and doesn't see compassionately different needs. So, yeah, you can have maybe a chip that's going to grade me on that day on the level of, of respect I'm showing towards my students, but won't have the emotional intelligence to see that maybe that day I'm unable to relate with my students as I normally do, because just, I'm just struggling. I'm going through some psycho-emotional issues. Technology will be completely blind to that. You know, and, and that's, that's my fear with this scenario. I thought about it and even had a, you know, a little bit of a nightmare thinking what will be the future if indeed, you know, we've been discussing the context of this pandemic, use biometrics to enter places. And then I'm thinking, is that the level of fear that we cannot trust the population to look after themselves, to be responsible citizens, that we need to install an external device to control them? And the level of control will be so absolute. So that will be self-censoring. So if now I'm getting ratings when I'm working on campus, I will be less prone to talk to students or to a colleague. Why if I say the wrong thing? You know, one thing that I truly value about my contact with students, I encourage them to make mistakes because that's how you learn, taking risks saying sometimes something crazy completely out of the ordinary if you're always being rated and graded that will completely kill your creativity but maybe Nicole has a different perspective I don't
2: know no definitely not uh if I would be a teacher in 2030 and this technology would be introduced I would simply quit um to be very straight up, it wouldn't be because uh, I wouldn't see the benefits of it. It would simply be because the value of human act- interaction would be completely gone. Um, I would not know what is a truly um, deep human interaction, what is done for to get these 5% of the grade. Um, and even though, of course, still participation also today in the classroom and being kind to a teacher still might be based on the grade, but... If I'm graded every day as a teacher on my respect, again, do I have to pretend on a bad day that I'm doing well? I feel like that takes a human out of the classroom.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I like it. Now that you've painted this picture of how you're going to interact and that there is diversity um, and the fact that all students have access to the technology out there do you think that that's something that you can already start working towards in your teaching now instead of 10 years from now is it i mean why why aren't we implementing it already
1: this is a great one you know for for a few years, many academics have been raising the issue why do we organize these expensive conferences and we book our tickets and contribute to the pollution of our planet when we can hold this remotely? And conference organizers will tell you that's impossible. Well, <laughs> 2020 showed us that is actually quite doable. It's it's not ideal because it was crisis management, but if we have the time to think about it, I think that we can move in a direction of change. For me to have that truly diverse uh, classroom and tackle some of the inequalities in access to education, technology, and all the tools you need to make use of that access to to university, the university also has to change. You know what I say in the future? prestigious universities that are not, not only in the global north. And um, I will always make this, this claim about the uh, necessity to democratize knowledge production also across the globe. So I would love to see our university today collaborating with more universities in the global south and academics in the global south. I had to make all these rendezvous to end up in the Netherlands for my voice to be heard because it's still how the hegemony of knowledge creation is organized. Had I had other chances to develop such a career in Ecuador, maybe I would have stayed next to my family. So I also see how the university can challenge the structures of knowledge production and reproduction to make it more open and inclusive as it is today, I think
2: because your question was also why why is it not happening today, and I think it's a very much a question or an answer of because not everyone is part of this conversation um, and as well as your point of the hegemony of knowledge creation. Um, I think it's a very deeply psychological process and if not enough people are part of this debate, not enough people will think about it and therefore will feel offended by people that will challenge uh, the education we have now. And whether that is on the inclusivity part we talked about today or on the technological part, there are still going to be people who hold traditional values um, in a sense that they cannot see outside of their bubble and therefore feel um, the fear simply by, by the change that it is inevitable by uh like by my opinion, but I um I think that's the main reason why we don't see it today. And I think definitely it can be overcome by more of these conversations and more critical conversations and with less fear of those consequences, because I see one positive change in just the past two or three years. I think it is way more normalized to, first of all, um, voice an opinion and also to change that opinion. So I think if we work on that also in the next couple of years, I think society is going to start changing even faster and hopefully it will start in education.
0: Nice. Well, then uh, that uh, comes to the end of our podcast and I want to thank you very much for your openness and input. And uh, I hope that uh, you're going to take something with you and, I don't know, implement it in the way you either teach or learn. And um, yes, I hope that we will have a conversation in the future as well. Thank you for having
1: us. Thank you for this wonderful invitation.
0: Thank you once again to our guest speakers, Dr. Maria Gabriela Palacio and Nicole Cadlick. In the next podcast, we'll be joined by Jaap Brons and Pelle Bergkalt and see how they envision education in 2030.